Hello and welcome to episode 311 of the Pen Attic Podcast, your weekly fix for all things analog. I'm your host, Brad Dowdy. I'm usually not on this side of the microphone, but I do have Mike on the other end. It's just not the mic you're used to. So say hello to Mike Madison, Mr. Ink Dependence. How's it going, Mike? Hey, it's going great, Brad. It's uh, good for me this week because I don't actually have to remember your name. I can just say, hey, Mike, what do you think about this? And it's still, I'm still good, right? Yeah, yeah. All mics are interchangeable. <laughs> okay. Well, you, you at least have the proper spelling of Mike. And for that, I, I'm greatly appreciative. So uh, <laughs> real quick, uh, why don't you tell everyone who you are? I think a lot of our listeners know, but uh, just give a little quick rundown of, of who you are, what you do. Yeah, so I'm Mike Madison. Uh, I've run a YouTube channel and a blog called inkdependence.com for uh, I don't know, six or seven years now, I guess. I actually had to look it back up and see how old the blog was. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I do mostly ink, but also uh, pens, paper, uh, writing paraphernalia, all manner of things like that. Yeah, so we I've been following you pretty much since the beginning, and we've known each other for a long time. And we see each other traveling around the globe to various, various pen shows. So we always like uh, hanging out and chatting with each other. So I figured right after we finished the Raleigh pen show or the Triangle pen show, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mix those things up. I interchange them constantly. It's a sickness of mine. The Most tri- of us do, too. It's yeah. totally fine. <laughs> the Triangle pen show was this past weekend, and this is actually your local show, if you that's air quote local, right? You're the least in the in the in the ballpark. It's definitely the closest show. Yeah, it's about an hour from me, which is not mm-hmm. bad. Mm-hmm. So, how many? How long have you been going to this show? Uh, since about I don't know, 2011, maybe 2012, something wow. like that. I'm not actually sure um, because I only started. Uh, I think my first post about it on my blog was in 2012. Mm-hmm. So, but I don't think that was my first trip. So, probably the last I don't know uh, seven or eight years. Yeah, I think that's about when I started going to the Atlanta show, which is my local show. And I know the first year or so, I didn't like write much about it or blog about it. So I'm like, I think it's 2012 or something like that. Mm-hmm. But what, what do you, just over uh, the general scope of the time you've been going there, how do you think this show has uh, improved or gotten worse or changed or anything like that? Can you Have you noticed really any difference in the past several years of this show? Uh, well, I mean, we've got a new venue this year, which is pretty darn cool. Uh, as far as that change for it, I mean, it's gotten bigger for sure. There are definitely more vendors than when I started going. Good. Um, the uh, sort of the public response kind of waxes and wanes. I think it really has a lot to do with um, one weather, oddly enough, mm. and two, like it's a very nice day outside. Sometimes it's slower, but yeah. Uh, and two, I think it has to do with um, you know how well we get the word out each year. Mm-hmm. So. Every once in a while, I don't know, there have been a couple of years where they've done a, a newspaper article and that sort of thing. And that seems to have really helped out in attendance. So, uh, you know, it kind of waxes and wanes a little bit. But it, overall, it's a kind of calm show anyway. It's not like your DCs or Chicago's or something. It's it's pretty chill, but I really uh, but it's a good show. I like it a lot. I think that's what I enjoy the most about it. Like, so we, this is my second year in a row attending this show and I bring not to sell all of our not co goodies there. And I, I find that people who are first timers to this show, which there were a bunch this year too, which is always fantastic. They want to know, okay, this is my local show. How does my local show compare to all the other shows you go to? And like, they yeah. want to know how it compares to DC. And I'm like, well, I mean, you can't, 
you can kind of <laughs> kind of compare them, but it's not really the same thing. What Raw and I'd always say, like what this show provides is something for everyone. Like you're not missing out if this is your show and you can't make it to DC or Chicago or San Francisco. You don't miss out on anything. It's just like the overall size is bigger okay dc might be three or four times the amount of tables i don't know i might be even selling that short the huge amount of crowds but you get all the same vendors right and you actually get time to talk to the vendors you're not spending your time elbowing your way to the front edge of the table to see what's going on right yeah i think so i mean so raleigh has um a lot all the modern stuff you want because it's got uh anderson and uh uh, Federalist Pens is there and Crazy Allen's Emporium shows up with modern stuff and paper and whatnot. And you've got a bunch. Uh, oh, Van Ness was there this year, which is a first. Yeah. Uh, you get uh, a bunch of, um, of uh, vintage dealers. You've got a good auction. So it's a, got a good smattering of things. So while it doesn't have everything like DC will, it's got some of everything and probably, uh, you know, most of what you're looking for. Yeah, and you get to keep your sanity, you know? Right, yeah. It's got about 70 tables, so it's actually not that small. It feels kind of small, but 70 tables is actually kind of a lot of tables. Yeah, I thought it was the setup was awesome. It was one of the better rooms, just like physical room setup that I've been in, just from the space in the aisles and the lighting. I mean, those are two things we rarely talk about, right? (laughs) But that helps a lot when it's like comfortable to get around and you're not going blind, like trying to see like old writing on on a pen barrel. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, uh, I think super helpful. I mean, as somebody who takes a lot of pictures at shows, or at least I used to, mm-hmm. uh, it's the lighting is is actually really important. And for people that are you know smaller makers like your like Brooks and uh, mm-hmm. uh, Franklin Kristoff and Krusek and these folks, like you need to be able to see these things to appreciate how good they are. And right. a lot of the times, you have what we call vendor lighting, which is this terrible <laughs> yellow lighting that's just awful. Yep. Uh, but this show is in the new location has really nice white lighting plenty of room which i think is underrated there are lots of shows that are kind of cramped so mm-hmm. you know when people ask what stage to bring to a pin show if you're like don't take a backpack you can mm-hmm. take a backpack to raleigh because these aisles must be i mean what 10 feet across or something it's huge there's so much room yeah pretty close and we even had room behind the tables usually yeah like the vendors <laughs> like when i'm standing behind the table and have someone else behind me we're, we practically have to stagger ourselves from you know not bumping butts the whole time you know yeah, um, yeah. but this time we probably had five feet behind our tables if not a little bit more than that it was absolutely fantastic and uh it just uh, it, you know it allows the crowds to get through there better because sometimes you can get clogged areas in the in the aisle and this isn't a place like a pinjo is not a place where you're like rushing through from like store to store to store like at the mall you want to go and you want to spend some time looking at what people have you want to talk to the person behind the table to maybe learn more about what they're selling and what they're doing so i don't know i think this is kind of you know the the perfect setup especially for a first timer but you know experienced people um like yourself there's you're not missing out on anything um from from a show like this i thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed it um from a knock perspective just to let everyone kind of give everyone like a baseline of how we do at shows like this we did more in sales this year than last year so that's always hugely successful for us like when i can you know track those numbers and see what we did last year versus what we did this year and you know we had bigger sales this year. Hey, I can't complain, right? I mean, that's pr- that's pretty awesome. Um so did you end up buying anything at this show? 
I mean, I bought a couple of things. <laughs> I actually wasn't really, I didn't have anything in mind. Uh, mm-hmm. I didn't have a list. I often don't bring a list anymore, uh, which, you know, may be trouble, but whatever. Mm-hmm. I, I'll, I'll run that risk. Um, but I did get a few things. Mostly I got auction stuff. So if you want to save that for later, we can. But um, <laughs> the first thing I bought was I walked in and um, there's a guy named Rob who has, he's often got pen stands and display cases and all kinds of stuff that he schleps around all these shows mm-hmm. and they're awesome, but they're always too big for me to fly with. So, um, he didn't have some of the huger ones that I was really into, which is good because it's expensive <laughs> and I don't have the space. Uh, but I did pick up this really awesome Acme pen stand. So it holds, I don't know, a dozen pins or something. It's sort of this arc with primary color shape things going on like Acme does. And uh, so I picked that up. So that was my very first pin show. Uh, purchase. I got a couple of inks. I got uh, Colorverse Sunspot, and I got the new um, the new Krishna ink from Hippo. Mm. And uh, I haven't really had a chance to try those out. I've swapped them, but that's all I've done with them. Um, <laughs> and then I ended up buying a buying a really nice pocket knife after uh, from a, a guy who was one of my viewers who brought a bunch of knives to the show to show me because he knows I'm kind of a knife guy. And uh, I guess that's uh, oh, and I got one of the uh, the Noxapellos, which is oh. pretty cool. Nice. Uh, and then some auction stuff. And that's really about it. Yeah. So I saw you walking down the aisle after you purchased that Acme display. And I just looked at you and I pointed. I was like, where did you get that? You know, but I didn't, <laughs> I didn't say that. You just saw it in my eyes. and You're like, oh, that guy down there. I'm like, that's really cool. Um, I That's a that's just a neat little neat little display. I was pretty pretty anxious uh to go down there and check it out what else he had no more uh no more of those cool acme displays but like you said he had some retro 51 and i didn't end up going back i went down there poked around and i was like oh, i'll come back later and i kind of never did so that's okay but yeah i can i'm since i drive to this show i'm able to pick up a few extra things like that so that's the right the mm-hmm. right place to to pick up on those bigger things but kind of like you i didn't really i don't think i bought anything in the show proper but the auction I did, and that's kind of, you know, that's where all my funds were allocated this year. Not purposefully necessarily, but i i <laughs> did get I did get some good stuff, and um, you know, I picked up a Parker Dual Fold Centennial Big Red. I'm actually trying to figure out the exact name of this one. Like I've found it, you know, on ParkerPins.net, and I'll put a link in the show notes for everyone to go see it. Um, the naming convention on this pen and these modern ones like this looks looks like it's from 2015 is mm-hmm. really confusing because once you say parker dual fold and big red in in, in a search term that's like a hundred years worth of pens for parker right yeah so right. it's impossible to like i haven't totally nailed down the exact name or or model but it was an orange one which you know that always speaks to me and it had uh, gold furniture and it looks really nice and i'm real happy with that and that pen and this next pen, which is the Yard of Lead Viceroy Grand, I've had a Parker Dual Fold and a Yard of Lead pen just on the mental list for years. Like, I don't own either of those pens. I have always wanted those pens. Both of those pens tend to be somewhat expensive when you're shopping for other things as well. They've never been at like number one on the list, but it's always been, I would like to have one of these eventually. So when they popped up at auction and I was able to get them for good prices, um, the, the yard of lead, you know, more of a deal, if you will, than the yeah. dual fold. 
um, you know, I'm happy to like add those to the collection. Those are things I've been looking for for a long time. And then the the last one I picked up was a Rotring 600, which I already have the lava fountain pen with a steel nib. I wanted a, a 600 with a gold nib and they just happen to have one there at the auction. Um, that 600 has a gold nib on it, huh? Yeah, that's, that's I, did, uh, I wouldn't have even bid on it if it was the steel nib, probably unless it went for really low. But that's the only wow. reason I bid on it was it had a gold nib. I I remembered looking at it and I thought it had the silver ends on it, so I didn't even open it up. I was like, ah, I've got one of those. No, nope, it has a nope. gold nib, huh? Yes. I think that might be an aftermarket gold nib then. Uh, it's, got the, it's got the Rotring label on it, and it's got the gold band on the outside of the pen. Oh, does it? I must have just missed it. Well, I'm yeah. glad you got it. Actually, it's got the <laughs> extra. It's not just a gold band; it's the entire gold top. So, yeah, like the yeah, top finials gold. Yeah. yeah, I must have missed it. But I'm glad it went to a good home. I've got the oh, black version of that pen. I've got yeah. a few Rotrings as well. And, yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's great. And that is a broad nib, which is actually kind of hard to find too. So that's really cool. Yeah. So that's where I don't let the nib size get in the way of me getting a pen that's really cool and that I want, right? I would, I'm not normal. Like if I, if there's five of these out, you know, when these came out and I have a choice of an extra fine nib, of course I'm going to buy that, but I wasn't going to pass this one up. And what's weird about this nib, it's so broad that it's almost like a stub. It's a little bit squared off. So I kind of like writing with it so far. I'm not going to get it changed or tweaked or anything. I kind of like uh, what it what it offers as far as the line goes. <laughs> yeah, um, don't change it. I'll trade you a medium or something. Don't change it. <laughs> I'm not going to change it at all. <laughs> not, not at all. So what did, what did you get at the auction? Uh, so I picked up, uh, the first thing I got was this little lot of uh, platinum pens. There were a bunch of lots of like duos and trios and even like six pens at a time at this auction, mm-hmm. uh, which was nice because there's already 120 something lots. But right. uh, <laughs> the uh, the platinums I got, one of them is just like a, it's a platinum pocket pen that looks a lot like, um, it said MYU style on the uh, on the auction sheet. But in reality, it's more like the, the Pilot E95S or one of those mm-hmm. sorts of guys, the short longs. But it's got a yep. nice blue section. It's got a fine nib, which is very fine. You'd probably like it more than I do. Yeah. Uh, but that's in really nice shape. Still got stickers on it. And uh, the other pin in that lot. And and that pin doesn't really have a name. I'm not able to find a name in any of the platinum stuff for it. It's just a platinum short pen. Yeah. Uh, which is annoying, but whatever. Well, I did this purposely because I picked up an old, something similar to that at a pin show a couple of years ago. And I found pilot's history page that was actually i could find my pin on and get the name of so i'll, I'll try to remember to send you that afterwards oh this is a platinum though i oh, wouldn't find platinum. a platinum I meant, I meant platinum so yes oh, it was well, platinum. dope yes I yep. that. Uh, and the other one is confusingly named the galaxy because mm. there is there are at least two or three other platinums that are also called the galaxy but this galaxy is in uh, silver and it doesn't say sterling but i think it probably is the listings mm. i've seen online say sterling but um, it's got this sort of nice uh, uh, crosshatch sort of tweed looking pattern in the in the the barrel and cap. It's totally pretty uh, with one of the like uh, the nice inlaid nibs. They've got clear feeds on them, which is kind of yeah. cool. Uh, so I got a couple of those and I'm pretty happy with that. And then the other pen I bought was a um, uh, shoot. What's it called? It's a, a balance two, which came in out in like the mid to late 90s, I think. Mm-hmm. And this one was in Jade and I got it for Audrey because while we were walking past the case on the way out, I was just like, oh, what's that green one? And I mm. wanted the one next to it. But uh, she's like, she liked the green one. So I went for the green one and I didn't really have any, I wasn't really bidding against too many people for it. But uh, it turns out that pen had all kinds of problems. And Oh, no. No, it's not. It wasn't, it wasn't good. Like you couldn't <laughs> see the cracks in the section when you just looked at it. But when you fill it with ink, it, uh, uh... 
Uh, yeah, and that was after yeah. we got some mold out of it, so I'm mm. gonna have to get a new section and nib for it. But oh, that stinks! <laughs> that stinks. Because <laughs> yeah. those pins were really pretty. Like I would, if I was interested in that type of pin, I would totally have been in on that. Um, I got lucky in that both the yard of lead, yard of lead, and the roach ring had never been used. They were both completely brand new, um, with their original boxes and their original like you know cartridges and different parts in there, and the dual fold. Um, it looked like it had been inked maybe once or twice. It was essentially brand new, but no box or anything. But it was, uh, I, you, that's one of the, the tips, the auction tips, the main auction tip. If you're interested in some of the pins, you can go early and check them out. Like they had the pins on display like Saturday afternoon or to where you can go and, you know, handpick things. But, you know, just like you said, the, the Schaefer, you weren't really looking at that. So, and you're not going to go through all 120 lots and, probably 200 plus pins that were on sale to see you know what you're going to do but you can pick out a few of them early and kind of scope them out yeah that's what i do is i make a note on the list i'll like underline it or circle it or something and put maybe a number if you have some idea what it's going to go for Mm -hmm. like if you have a top number yeah the only one i looked at ahead of time was the rotring um i didn't look at the parker yarder lead that i ended up picking up um i did look at the lot that you bought with the platinums, I think that was probably like my number one, like lot I was looking at. Um, those were some really cool pins, and they had like they'll tend to kind of group like pins in consecutive lots. So there was like mm-hmm. a group of platinums, a group of sailors, and there was like two or three other groups of like the modern vintage type of Japanese pins. And I was like, if I get one of these lots, I'm going to be inclined to like buy all of these lots. So I like. <laughs> kind of <laughs> little bit bitted i didn't go really aggressive on those i was like okay i'm okay with that like <laughs> plus i i could see you ahead of me so i'm not gonna bid against not gonna bid against you but um <laughs> that's why i let you get that yard of lead because i also wanted that <laughs> that was a cool pen that yeah. the best the best thing about that was it was completely tarnished they had not polished it up. So I think that kept the price down, fortunately for me, a little bit, which it I did. I, I saw a couple of people say, Hey, let me look at that. And they looked at it because it was totally black in that box. Yep. But I was like, Nope, that's just tarnished, y'all. You're passing up an awesome pin. <laughs> yep. Yep. So I, I, when I got it back to the room that night, it had, once I realized that it had never been used, like I got out the polishing cloth and it was like brand new. Um, I turned that thing black, <laughs> just yep. working on it. And it still has work to go, but still, it, it worked out well. So, related to this show, um, I moved up some Ask TPA questions that uh, we can kind of tie into our experience here. So, this is from our our good Slack friend, Tiante, and our good real-life pin show friend, Tiante. She says, Brad, you said your daughter got very deep into the auction last year and picked her show your kids enjoying this year's Triangle Show. Do you see either of them following in your footsteps, either joining the business or starting a side one, like Ryan Krusak's daughters? So they are really interested in the business side of things as far as not goes like they don't really they can't really relate to the pin addict stuff you know the blogging and podcasting and the advertising stuff that goes on with that because they can't physically see that as much most of that's on the computer the knock stuff they're really interested in they actually like talking to the customers they challenge my two kids challenge each other to like who can actually make a sale <laughs> with the, the so they'll they'll like shoot me if they're talking to someone they'll like shoo me away because they want to lock down that sale like it's some competition or something and there's no competition but <laughs> they they are like they get into like the working the booth aspect of it i can see them following in something you know along the lines of knock they haven't 
gone into like any side business type of ideas. Not that I've heard them say as far as like um, what Ryan's daughters do with their pen cases and uh, other, other things that they sell, which are always great. I always try to buy stuff from them. So, but yeah, they're interested in it and they really had fun at this show. They were, since they were together, they had more fun goofing off around the show with other people and, you know, just kind of hanging out at the show than necessarily working the table, but, uh, they had a fun show. So this is, uh, this is always a highlight of my year to bring, bring them now, both of them to the show. My daughter just went last year. So it's very cool. And Tiante also asked, are you encouraging your children to enjoy fountain pens or is that something they're getting interested in by watching you? So I think it's more the second part, just the watching and asking questions part than me, like trying to, enforce anything on them. Like I don't put anything in their hands that they're not interested in first. Right. So, you know, at school, <laughs> they mostly use pencils and, you know, they're going to have trouble using a fountain pen at school anyway, these days, you know, just being kids and fidgety and messy. So anything that they're interested in though, I definitely try to explain to them and work with them and, you know, let them have fun and that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's definitely more that they get interested in looking at the stuff and want to try the stuff and then I'll help them out with that. So the next one, this one's for you, Mike. So it says, my very first pen show was Chicago this month. And this is from Nibs and Code. Sorry, this is Ask TPA. My very first pen show was Chicago this month, and I'm hooked. I feel like I missed out on a lot of vintage pens, though, because of lack of knowledge. I'm going to St. Louis next month, and I want to do better. How do I navigate the bargain bins at the vintage tables? So what do you think? Like me and you are kind of on the same page. So I unfair, unfairly dumped this one on you. <laughs> yeah, you I, I know what your answer is. I know what your answer is going to be. It's like, I don't really know. <laughs> that is what I wrote down. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know, man. I'm uh, like, I'm not super well versed in vintage stuff either. I, I'm dipping my toe in and I'm trying to, you know, pick up bits of knowledge where I can find it. But bargain bin stuff is, um, can be great. And oftentimes, in fact, maybe mostly whatever you pull out of that bargain bin is going to be worth more than whatever, uh, the cost is, but often mm-hmm. they need restoration. That's why they're in there. Uh, this show, there was a table off in the corner that just kept <laughs> throwing stuff in the bargain bins, and the the vintage hunters were just over there pawing through these uh, these big bins of pins and parts and all that kind of stuff. And I just sort of I went over there and looked and said, "So what's good here?" And they said, uh, "You know, it depends what you're into." And I'm like, "Cool." Um, <laughs> I, I think the best way to navigate those things is to make friends with a vintage dealer and sort of. I don't know, build some trust, figure out who you can talk to and who will give you information about a thing. And then you can ask Um, a lot of times uh, if it's a small show, especially like this one, you can say, you know, I've got this thing or you can take a picture of it. Or sometimes you can even ask the vendor, can I borrow this to show to a friend? Um, And sometimes they'll let you do that sort of thing and then take it over to somebody and say, what is this? Um, That's a good way to do it. Uh, But yeah, the bargain bins are, are intimidating. I get it. Super intimidating. And that was the that was the feeding frenzy table for sure. When he broke that stuff out Saturday morning, it was just like shoop, like everyone just descended on this guy. And I wouldn't look just to see what the commotion is, but I couldn't pick anything out of there. So but I was a hundred percent gonna say what you said about becoming friends with some of the vendors. So who what's Brian's last name that I asked you about? Is it McCree? McQueen. McQueen. Brian McQueen. Brian McQueen. So he sat behind behind me. And he's a younger guy, like of our generation, who's fully into vintage pens. He is so helpful, like in just explaining things and, you know, wanting to teach like this next generation of pen buyer what vintage is all about. He restores pens. So 
you know, if you see someone like me or or Mike or Anna or anyone who's been to a bunch of pen shows, you kind of know the people who are the most receptive to be able to come up to and ask the most basic, simple questions to. And I just had a really fun time in uh, chatting with Brian. I know I sent some people over his way to ask questions about Esterbrooks or Parkers or things like that. So yeah, I think that's a great idea. And then when you have the vintage table, also you want to get friends with someone who you know is a really good vintage pen restore person. <laughs> so you'll you'll end up if you end up picking up some of these things that need work, you know, you want to have a go-to person, whether that's, you know, Ron Zorn or Martin or there's a whole list of lists of uh people you could get get um these pens repaired from. But yeah, I don't I, I'm willing to spend the extra money to get that restored pen instead of digging through the bargain bins. But I have done it before with some, uh, have found some pilot and sailor stuff through these through these bins. So it's always worth a worth a look. We're definitely losing money on the table, leaving money on the table doing that. But yeah, also we're maybe losing less money because we're not buying a bunch of junk that we don't know is junk. <laughs> <It's> the, <laughs> exactly. You know. Exactly. So yeah, it's a, it's a toss up and it's a learning experience, just like you said, right? I mean, we all have to start from somewhere and, you know, finding friends at the show and learning what they're into and and what to expect next, you know, um, that's, uh, that's kind of the, the fun, uh, the educational process, if you will. Yeah. I've got two or three people that are my go-tos. So like Brian McQueen is great, but he's a local resource for me too. He lives not far from here. Uh, and then Paul Areno is great at that sort of thing. Um, I talk to Mario Campa a lot uh, about those kinds of things as well. If he's not busy, I, I mean, Brian Anderson is a wealth of information, but they're usually slammed. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. So I noticed you sat next to Brian at the auction and uh, he did some nice uh, Esterbrook <laughs> work there, which he, which he is known for. So uh, y'all, y'all definitely hit up Brian and ask him uh, what Esterbrook uh, stuff he found there. Cause uh, I think he, he enjoyed a couple of those, right? Yeah. He completed a couple of things in his collection that he's like, He's like, I have, I have five of the six of these, and this is the sixth one. So he's, uh, he was pretty happy with what he ended up with. I think they're going to talk about that on their podcast. So awesome. So we'll, we'll put a link in that show notes. So y'all can go listen to the Anderson Pens podcast, which I'm sure you already do. Today's episode of The Pen Addict is brought to you in part by Blue Apron. Skip meal planning and get straight to cooking with Blue Apron. They will deliver fresh, pre-portioned ingredients and step-by-step recipes right to your door. Each meal can be cooked in under 45 minutes, and Blue Apron's menu changes every week based on what's in season and is designed by Blue Apron's in-house culinary team. They offer 12 new recipes each week, and you can choose two, three, or four of them based on what best fits your schedule. Right now, Blue Apron is teaming up with the best-selling cookbook author Chrissy Tagan to bring you some of her favorite recipes to make at home. Get ready for six weeks of wildly fun, flavorful cooking featuring recipes like garlic and soy glazed shrimp with charred broccoli and hot green pepper sauce, and sesame chicken noodles with bok choy. Blue Apron sends only the best produce and meat with no added hormones. Let me tell you, when you get these recipe cards and the pre-portioned ingredients, it takes so much of the hassle out of trying to work out what to cook. You don't need to plan the meal. You don't have to think about what you want. You don't have to buy all these ingredients that you're only going to use a piece of. You get everything that you need, and it's super easy to get it all in front of you. You've got all of the ingredients there. They all come in their own like individual packaging stuff. So everything's super simple to, to work out what you need and where it needs to go. 
And their recipe cards are so well detailed, everything is perfectly done. You're going to know exactly how to do it, and trust me, this food is going to taste incredible. Check out this week's menu and get three meals for free with free shipping at blueapron.com slash penaddict. That's blueapron.com slash penaddict to get your first three meals free with free shipping. Thank you so much to Blue Apron for their support of this show. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. All right, so we're going to switch from the Triangle Pin Show and we're going to do a little bit of follow-up on the discussion I had with Mike with a Y last week about the state of the stationary industry. It was um, it generated a lot of conversation, as you can imagine. Anytime you talk like big picture stuff and stuff that I admittedly am not 100% on <laughs> and just kind of perception and observation type of things, I got the most response around my comments on Pelican, you know, trying to figure out what's their business model and how that's going to work going in the future. One of the most common things, one of the most common responses that I got was like around Pelican's business in Germany in the school supply market. So apparently they have a monster uh, market just at home in Germany and school supplies. And I'm talking not just like the school pens, the school fountain pens, but like markers and, you know, basic rollerball and ballpoint type pens. Uh, they might even do pencils and other like paper goods. Like I've got several mentions and emails about just how massive that market is for them. So, I mean, you know, Pelican's obviously doing great. I mean, it looks like they're just super healthy company from a business perspective, the way they launch and go through products. So, Mike, I don't want to put you, put you on the spot as far as like, you know, what do you think about the current state of the stationary entry industry is, but I would like to know, what do you see as someone who's into this stuff and has a blog and a YouTube channel? What do you want to see like over the next few years? You know, what are what things get you excited about products wise or companies wise or just in general terms? What do you want to see over the next few years? Yeah, so stuff I, I imagine are uh, trends I see happening are probably we're going to have uh, and I see this happening at shows over the last few years is a greater influx of the younger generation, like people our age and younger that are uh, you know just getting into pens or have sort of been into it on the down low for a while, but didn't tell anybody or didn't know that pen shows were a thing. So I think uh, the young folk market is going to explode here soon, I hope. Um, you also end up seeing more women at these shows, which is awesome. So it's mm-hmm. another demographic. When you think of the the pin show demographic, it's usually like, I don't know, dudes and especially right. older dudes. And I right. think that that is shifting. Um, I mean, we saw a bunch of kids at the Triangle show this week, and that's a pretty small show. Chicago was the same way, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's going to happen. Uh, also, I think that we're going to see uh, more custom stuff, more small batch makers, more, um, you know, uh, more people making their own things. And so that means more color. That means wilder designs. It means maybe less staid um, uh, lines of pens. I mean, uh you know, if somebody, there are some makers that have like a line of pens and they have a name, but there are others that just make pens. And so that can make it a little bit difficult if you're looking for, I want this particular model in this kind of color. Well, you're not going to maybe be able to collect those. Um, so maybe the collectible market will change a little bit, but um, I, I think we're going to get, um, you know, like more color and more different designs coming soon. Yeah. And I, 
I agree across the board on on everything there. I wish I we don't do you know like demographic information you know with Knox stuff, but I, we have to be close to like uh, my guess would be just like a fifty fifty like male female. I love seeing you know the more women in the community, um, the kids, the youth movement, the custom makers like the barrier to entry is lower than it's ever been and. Mm-hmm you can find the customers easier then. So I agree hundred percent with, with all those topics. I, I think we're, we're heading down a, a good path. This is We're in a, a good place right now, as far as the industry goes, I think. And I think we're still on that upward swing, right? Where it's only, only going to get better. Yeah, I certainly hope so. <laughs> so the amount of emails I got around my commentary last week was dwarfed. Mike, in the amount of emails and tweets I got for, and I, I titled this in the show notes. I, I don't always read what I type in the show notes, but <laughs> I'm going to call the title of this article, Moron Does Moronic Things. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, I guess this was Friday at the pen show. My Twitter started blowing up and my email inbox started uh, blowing up the EPA, head of the Environmental Protection Agency and arm of our U.S. government, uh, gentleman that runs its name, Scott Pruitt. The article headline was the EPA paid $1,560 for 12 fountain pens. Um, this is taxpayer money, you know, so that's also causes, you know, a, a huge uproar as it should. But just on headline alone, Mike, what do you think about this article? It sounds like they either bought bad pens or got a good deal, honestly. Yeah. So I I actually did a little bit of of looking up on this stuff, and it seems like the official pen of the U.S. government right now is the the Cross Century 2 in black Mm -hmm. lacquer. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I I looked it up, and there was one from January of last year, and it says Trump administration keeps the same pen or whatever. So they ordered like 150 of them. Mm. And these things, looking at the Cross website, go for 130 bucks a piece. And if you break down the 1,500 by 12 pens, that's about what the EPA got, too. So I think this is probably just a... Just a totally normal office supply order, honestly. It doesn't right. seem like that big a deal. So when Audrey first looked at it, she's like, $1,500 a pen? That's crazy. I'm like, yeah, that's not what it says. She looked at it, she's <laughs> like, oh, I added a zero. No, this is not a big deal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I said, too. I said, well, like, yeah, $1,560 per pen for 12 pens. I was like, well, that's a big time pen. And then I actually stopped and read it again. I was like, oh, well, that's nothing. He did a pretty bad job, you know, if that's that's what it's going for. So the my non pen friends were sending this to me going like, Oh my God, look at all these look at the price that they paid for these pens, and which, yes, I mean, when it's it's not your money to spend, it is outrageous, any dollar amount. But from a pen person uh perspective, it's like, oh yeah, it's probably not very good. <laughs> and which, you know, nothing wrong with cross, but I, I didn't do the research that you did, but I put in the show notes, like this has to be a cross pen, right? I mean, just to get that style of pen and get the department's engraving and that price point, that's what you do. You buy the cross pen and that's, that's yeah, the one you're going It sounds like do. they got a discount because the regular one is about 130. So yeah. I and mean, if they're getting, you know, special seals added, I mean, these are pens that they're not probably using in the office. These are probably pens that are, you know, gifts to yeah. dignitaries or business leaders or whatever. And you don't hand them right. a big you hand them a you know right something right. nice that doesn't yep. that's not crazy <laughs> so yeah this was a, a in the pit as far as the pen world goes non-story you know as far as you know government and policy and politics yeah they can have the story but as far as the pen people go total non-story here right it's not a forty thousand dollar wrench it's a <laughs> medium priced pen <laughs> exactly 
Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Pen Chalet. Pen Chalet sell everything you're looking for. They have all of your favorite brands and all of the items that you're looking to buy to further enhance and grow your collection of pens, fountain pens, mechanical pencils, maybe even all of the accoutrement. Maybe you're looking for carrying cases or pen holders, refills, ink. No matter what you're looking for, Pen Chalet have got it. They're always adding new brands. They're always adding new styles. They're adding stuff every single month. You can go and find new stuff at Pen Chalet which is all sold at great prices. Pen Chalet have low prices on high-quality products and offer a 100% satisfaction guarantee with great shipping options too. They sell internationally. They have great shipping rates for going overseas, but they also do free shipping on orders of over $50 in the United States. So go to penchalet.com, that's P-E-N-C-H-A-L-E-T.com right now, and click the podcast link at the top of the website. Enter the password penaddict and you'll get a code that you need to save 10% on absolute anything at Pen Chalet, and also to get access to a couple of special offers we have for you this week. We have the Fisher Space Pen Astronaut Ballpoint Pen and the Conklin Word Gauge Fountain Pen as well. These are both really, really cool pens. I really like the way the uh, Conklin Word Gauge looks, right, where it shows you kind of how many words you have left on the side. I think that's really cool. You can get both of these at an extra special discounted price just for Pen Addict listeners. I can't tell you the prices. You're going to go and have to find them for yourself at penchalet.com. Click that podcast link at the top of the site and enter the password penaddict and you'll get access to all of that. Thank you so much to Penchalet for their continued support of Relay FM and the Penaddict podcast. All right. So before we have a bunch of Ask TPA, I, I had a call out for, for questions for you specifically and some follow-up um, on that. But before we even get to that, I want to talk about ink dependence and what you're doing over at the blog these days and YouTube channel, which I want to dig into a little bit. But for those who didn't haven't heard you talk on our show before, or just started following you, you were on episode 234 of this podcast. And we talked about your background a little bit, but why don't you do a quick recap on why you do this? Why is there a blog called Ink Dependence that you that you uh, put your put your heart into every week? Yeah, so there's a there's a blog called Ink Dependence, primarily due to the influence of my wife. She started a, a nail polish blog, I don't know, a couple of years or something, maybe before I started blogging mm-hmm. anything. And she said, you know, this is a fun thing to do. It gives you an excuse to to dive deeper into a hobby you already have. Uh, you're a pretty okay writer, and so people might care what you have to say about things. And I said, no, no, nobody's going to care, but it will give me an excuse to to buy more ink and stuff like that. So uh, that's actually how the blog kind of happened. Um, and then you had said that I was on YouTube since the beginning and I was like, am I, I don't I don't know. And it turns out that I kind of have been (laughs) the YouTube was a total accident. I was just using it. And if you look back and don't look back at my first (laughs) few uh, videos, they're like, I'm going to link it now. I'm going to find it. They're like a minute and a half long. It's just like, here's a water test. And what I was doing was I was storing videos on YouTube, just little short clips I would film with my phone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I would embed that into the sort of static image blog. And so I didn't even know that it was searchable. I didn't know that anyone would care. And then I started getting emails or uh, messages on there saying, hey, what's this blog you're talking about? And then my response was, who are you and where are you? And where are these comments coming from? And how do you not know? <laughs> 
And so then I found out that YouTube was kind of a thing. And uh, that's how I started doing it seriously. Yeah. So the YouTube content has ramped up probably, I don't know, over the past year, you can correct me, but the more I I notice it a lot more and it seems to become, I don't want to say like your favorite form of, of communicating because you, you still have the blog and post lots of reviews, but you're on YouTube a lot now. How has that changed? How has your thoughts changed on that platforms from the beginning where it was just basically video storage to now? you're like actively on there and you're like doing live chats every Friday and things like that. So how did that ramp up? Uh, yeah. So I really, uh, the the basic truth of it is that YouTube is kind of easier to do than a static blog. A lot of times. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a, it's kind of a better medium to show pens um, just because you can twiddle it around in your hands. You don't have to worry about getting that one angle that somebody's looking at for a blog and like, yeah, but how does it look compared to this? I mean, you can do that sort of live and if they want to pause it or whatever they can, you can scrub back and forth. I don't know. It's there's uh, I mean, there's pros and cons to the to the YouTube thing, but I found that I get a lot more interaction on YouTube than I ever did on the static blog. Um, just from the, you know, YouTube comments and that sort of thing. A lot of people say that YouTube comments are all full of vitriol and just terrible people. But, um, I found that by and large, my YouTube audience are like interesting, engaged and like fun people to deal with. Um, and then I started doing the live streams. Oh, I don't know. Months and months ago, I guess I, I just sort of, I got the technology to do live streams. They made that easier and so I said, well, I'll just try this out and see how it goes. I've been doing Q&A videos and people love those. And uh, as you know, Ask TPA. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I was like, well, what if I just do this live and people show up? And so it's become a regular Friday occurrence. And uh, I love it. Yeah, and it's cool you add in the, uh, you've even done it at pen shows but you know, you had one from Raleigh this weekend, Friday. You walked around the show asking questions. I remember in Baltimore, uh, you were you were posted right uh, on on my backside at, at the uh, Baltimore <laughs> show. So I, I vividly remember that one. But I think it's a fun way and a faster way to communicate directly and you know more accurately with your readers. Right? I mean, we can do we can blog all day long, but it's more of a static thing like you you post words you take pictures and you get feedback and comments but having that live feedback or even the video feedback to where you can show more you know you can sit there and cap and uncap the pen you know what does that sound like is it a really solid cap is it kind of smooth you know is the knock mechanism you know tight or squishy i i love those aspects of the video that's where like the video dominates over any blog anytime right yeah, I think that's true for sure. And uh, so there, there are kind of pros and cons to the the, the pre-recorded Q&A and the live thing. I mean, if you're doing it live, you got to think on your feet and pretty much everything is a hot take if it's not something you've thought about before. <laughs> right, um, that's true. But And so you might get more thoughtful answers in the Q&A, but also it doesn't mean my hot take is wrong. Right. <laughs> and a lot right. of times I'm perfectly comfortable saying, I don't know. I, that's a, um, in my profession, that's a thing that I just kind of got used to doing. Like, I don't know what that is. Mm-hmm. I'll check it out. Fig- try mm-hmm. to figure something out for you. But yeah. that's, uh, yeah, it's Spe- a lot of fun. Yeah. Speaking of your profession, man, you're, you're good at this podcasting thing. You led me right into, right into another question. So, um, <laughs> like I, being around you as I am, I know you are, you're a big fan of bags. So I'm always commenting on whichever bag you're carrying at a time. And I think you actually probably have it worse than me in, in the bag <laughs> realm. <laughs> and we got an ass TPA along these lines, combining your bag and your work. So this is from a pen addict reader, Lisa. She says, I also teach 
at a university. I'm interested in his, being you, your EDC for work. What do you bring to school? Notebooks and pens. What do you carry it in? Do you use fountain pens for grading? Is everything on a computer? Do you use a paper planner? So let's, uh, let's talk about your profession uh, and how you integrate analog tools and everyday carry items into it or not into it at all. Yeah, totally. No problem. One of the things I've actually gotten asked for as a video is for like a bag dump sort of thing after you and Mike were talking about on a previous (laughs) episode. And I keep forgetting to do it, but I'm I'm definitely going to. I'll give you the the voice version here and then I'll do a video sometime later. But uh, yeah, I have a lot of bags and that's kind of exploded here recently. Uh, But um, (laughs) (laughs) and I it gives me the ability to match my bag to what I need to carry. So my my carry to school depends upon the day. It depends on my course load. Uh, For those who don't know, I'm an ethics instructor at a university. Uh, and so that means I'm in classrooms, but I may be teaching different kinds of classes and they may require different kinds of things. So um, I, I've been really, I started out with Osprey bags a while ago. I really like my Osprey Comet. It's a pretty big bag. It's like 35 or 40 liters, I think. Um, and so if I have a lot of stuff to carry, that sucker will swallow everything, uh, which is awesome. Uh, but if I don't need that much stuff, I'll use like a, a rickshaw uh, zero uh, or. I don't know, some other sort of thing. I just got a peak design I'm pretty psyched about. Mm. Um, so here's here's what's in my my carry on a pretty average day. Uh, firstly, my MacBook Pro. I've got a 15-inch MacBook, um, generally an iPad of some kind, either a mini or a Pro, uh, a bunch of things to go along with those, like you know, laser pointers and dongles and cords and that kind of stuff. Um, so that's my that's my digital side. And then everything else pretty well is analog. So uh, I usually carry a planner. I do totally use a paper planner. It's it's so much better for me than a digital planner for some reason. I think just just the the writing it down aspect really helps me. Uh, so I carry a uh, Kokyo Jibun Techo, mm. which is an awesome planner. I love that thing. Um, yeah, so I, I might carry... have to do that one next year. That one's uh, definitely on the hype train. I'm, I'm I think I might go uh, go for that next year. Yeah, I need the week at a day, like the, not the week at a day, the week at a glance sort of thing. So I need to mm-hmm. just open it up to that 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 ribbon marker and boom, I've got my week there and it's got it broken down by hour. It's fantastic. So I totally recommend that one. And it's also skinny. It's much smaller than the old one I used to use, mm. uh, which is kind of nice since I've only begun my bag dump here. <laughs> so that um, oftentimes I'll carry a Franklin Christoph Vagabond, which is like their traveler sized um, wax canvas, you know, notebook and cover sort of thing. Uh, for taking to meetings and notes and all that kind of jazz. I've also got a, a Franklin Christoph Padfolio in A5. A5? Yeah, A5. Um, and I have a Fabriano Ecoqua in there. And that's just for course notes. Um, so that's, uh, I don't know, like three different paper products. <laughs> uh, then I've got, you know, stuff that, uh, like if, I have, if I'm teaching a new class and I need to have my notes with me, I'll have some other notebook with me. So lately that's been Moramon or it's been... Um, uh, Lloyd's term or something like that. So I've got one of those in there. Uh, I've got, uh, just the stuff that teachers need to have. So dry erase markers, um, uh, pens of some kind, at least a two or three fountain pens, usually and the two or three regular pens. I'll have paper clips, a tiny stapler binder clips, you know, all that kind of jazz. Um, <laughs> that's, that's sort of my normal carry. And then if I have to do video stuff, I've got other video things that I'll bring. So sometimes I add a tripod and a, this little robot thing called a swivel. There's all kinds of stuff that, you know, you need to pack in there. Hand sanitizer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. You better believe it. Uh, and so do I use fountain pens for grading? 
Um, yeah, if I have paper stuff, then I'm probably using a fountain pen to grade. Uh, I didn't this last semester have any paper grading that I needed to do. So mm. fountain pens are just for class prep mostly, but, um, uh, so a lot of it's digital, but if I have class stuff, you know, paper things, yeah, definitely. I use yeah. fountain pens. When you were grading, did you have a specific, uh, a pen nib ink combo that worked better than others because you weren't necessarily getting to choose your paper. Yeah, no, you don't choose your paper and you can assume that it's going to be the worst possible paper. <laughs> um, it's not always, sometimes students will have a good paper. Like this is really good paper. They're like, yeah, I know I picked it. And I'm like, awesome. You are a good student. <laughs> but uh, as far as the other thing, no, I'm my, uh, my ADHD, I think kicks in and I can't stick with one particular pen nib ink thing uh, for very long. Gotcha. So I'll usually switch like every paper or two. <laughs> so oh, cool. Um, yeah, it just depends on, you know, if I find one that just isn't working on that paper, I'll just kind of set that one aside and not try not not to use it or just use it for big X's and not small notes. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a, that's a good way to use all your pens and ink anyway, right? Yeah. 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 It gives me an excuse to ink up more pens. Yeah. Well, cool. Um, so wrapping up on the, on the whole ink dependence thing, what do you, what do you want to do? Like, what do you see yourself, you know, doing over the next couple of years, just with the blog, anything you want to change, you know, you want to do more on YouTube, less on the blog. What types of things do you want to, do you want to keep working on? Yeah, I don't know. That's a tough question. Um, I, I, I think I feel like I've done less on the the regular blog than I have on YouTube lately, Mm -hmm. just because I've been doing more paper and more pens and those seem to work better on the, uh, on the YouTube than they do on their static blog. So I I don't know, like it might be that the the blog gets less use and it becomes more of a front page for YouTube, but I'm not ready to give up photography yet. I really like doing that part too. So um, hopefully I'll keep both going, but we'll just see how the works the workload goes. Um, as far as things I want to do in the future, man, I, I don't know. I, I kind of stumble into these things and I find a thing that I really enjoy or that the viewers really like, and then I'll add that to the repertoire. And that's, mm-hmm. that's how it went with the, the live streams. And that's now become a fixture. Um, but it's not something I planned on becoming a fixture. I didn't like do market research or figure out, are people going <laughs> to like this? It's, just thing. it's like, I don't know, people might like this. Let's see how it goes. And they do. And so I'll keep it up. So that's probably how I'll continue stumbling through uh, this hobby. <laughs> but I, uh, I mean, I, I think that's the best way, man. You let the audience tell you. It's not like we have some magic formula behind the scenes that we're all, you know, sitting there with spreadsheets and calculations. Okay, I know which I know which review is going to do the best next. We just do what we like, you know. It's it's you know, it's fun, like, you know, and and keeping it fun and getting feedback and and going down those paths. It's uh it's always the best way to go, I think. Yeah, the thing I'd like to improve for myself is consistency. So mm-hmm. My my posting schedule is just all over the place. And that's one thing that Audrey keeps telling me, you got to be consistent. I'm like, yeah, I know. But sometimes I get busy on a Tuesday and I can't do a post or what that's have right. you. Um, and, you know, if my if my real work that I actually get paid for, you know, ramps up and I'm too busy, maybe I'll only post one thing a week. Exactly. If it's during the summer, like now I might post, you know, three or four things a week. It just depends. And so that's uh that's that's just kind of a necessity given my workload i can't i can't you know keep a schedule of ever you know post every day or post every two days or something it's just not really viable <laughs> yeah yeah and that's okay i think it's uh you you've built up really good following and everyone loves when you you post stuff anyway so they'll be they'll be ready for you no matter how many times per week it is uh, that's my hope <laughs> This episode of The Pen Addict is brought to you by StoryWorth, the easiest way to share your family stories. StoryWorth makes it easy and enjoyable for your loved ones to share their life stories with weekly email story prompts and questions that you might not think to ask. 
Then at the end of the year, they'll get their stories bound in a beautiful hardcover book. It's sleek with a black and white interior, color cover, and up to 480 pages in length. This means that you and your loved ones can preserve their memories and even pass that book on to future generations. Let me tell you how StoryWorth works. You buy a subscription for somebody important to you, and each week StoryWorth will send them an email with a question about their life. They can then email back with their story or even record it over the phone, and then after a year, the stories will be bound instead of a beautiful book that you can keep. StoryWorth is a great way to learn more about someone. Their questions are designed to evoke entertaining, surprising, and even moving responses. It's a great way of staying in touch with family members too, who may live a little further away than you'd like. With StoryWorth, you can write stories and upload photos by email, on the web, or in their app. You can share the stories with as many people as you want. You just invite them by email and all of your data is secure and everything is private by default. You get to control who sees the stories. One of the questions that I saw in StoryWorth was, who inspires you? Honestly, this isn't something that I never would have thought about asking people in my family, and I think this is going to be a super fascinating thing to read when I get those answers back. I'm keen to see maybe how the answer to this question could relate to some of the things in my life. These are the kinds of interesting things that you can find out about somebody who's close to you when you use StoryWorth. So if you're looking for a meaningful, maybe even last-minute Father's Day gift, StoryWorth is perfect for someone you care about. So now is time to place your order. Listeners of this show can get $20 off their subscription by visiting storyworth.com slash penaddict. That's $20 off when you visit storyworth.com slash penaddict. StoryWorth, a new way to bring the family together. Our thanks to StoryWorth for their support of this show and Relay FM. All right, since you've been so kind, to join me and fill in this week for the incorrectly spelled Mike. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to pin you down with some ask TPA questions. Uh, is that okay? You, you ready to, to tackle some of these? Some of these are easy. Some of these are eh, not so much. You re- you ready to give it a go? Let's do it, man. I'm into it. All right. So I want to know this about you because I talk about it frequently enough. So f- Franz JPM wants to know, how does one manage pin-related item storage when space is at a premium? So how do you store your pins, Mike? Uh, mostly just all over the top of my desk, um, <laughs> which is not the best way. Uh, you know, the answer that I wrote down here in all caps is IKEA. I, mm-hmm. um, I, I think that they've got a lot of good storage stuff. I keep a lot of pens and uh, pads of paper and all kinds of things in these um, IKEA storage things called uh, Helmers which are pretty big in the the craft and collecting communities, I think. And they are super useful. They're not terribly expensive met little metal cabinets with drawers. Um, that's, that's where I keep most of my pens, like not my fountain pens usually, cause I want those in front of me, but, um, I have just, I don't know, mountains of non fountain pens and all kinds mm-hmm. of things stuffed into those. So, I mean, find whatever small storage works for you, but I mean, something like a container store or an Ikea or something, if you have a small space can be a godsend, I think. Yeah, and Mike, uh, the with a Y, is a big fan of one of those IKEA drawer cabinet type systems. So I, I need I to look into that myself. I think he uses the Alex, right? Which we've yeah. also got one of, and those are good. Yeah, those are really good. Yeah. And, so, yeah, I, I think that's the right path. I, IKEA always seems to to come up for for pen and stationary storage, and I think that's probably a perfect choice. Um. K Grushko wants to know, does anyone make a fountain pen friendly American composition book? 
And the answer is no, (laughs) at least not that I've found because I'm a very traditionalist for, you know, uh, one staple signature tape binding, you know, the proper size. And that's just something that's mass produced and, you know, cheaper paper so you can get them and, you know, all the office supply stores, things like that. Um, Baron Fig does like a faux cover make it look like a a composition book, but it's not quite the size you're looking for, but it does have decent fountain pen friendly paper. There was a Kickstarter project called Comp. That was another faux composition book project that did not have good paper either and actually had a very strange style. So this is something that's been on my short list for our printer to tackle at Knock for like the past two years. And, um, the kicker with this is, you know, if we do try to mimic an American composition book um, and have fountain pen friendly paper, it's going to be about 10 or 15 times the cost of the one you get at Walmart. So, and maybe there's a market for that. Maybe mm. there's not. So that's kind of what you're going to fall into. I love the format. I love the style. It's just um, uh, technically and price challenging. So, um, don't give up hope though, because if if we do find one, I'd, I'd love to see one, and maybe we'll just make it ourselves. Yeah, every once in a while you hear rumors of, hey, there's this fountain mm-hmm. pen friendly comp book, and it's just like the regular comp books, but it, you know, you look on the back, and it's got a particular country or something. But that sort of that sort of hunt, I think, is. I mean, you're spending a lot of time trying to yeah, get a 50 yeah. cent comp. And book, actually, you know? <laughs> now that you say that, I'll put a link in for Kay Grushko. Um, Les at Comfortable Shoes Studio did like a three part composition book roundup like everything she could find in the store so maybe one of those is a winner i can't remember it right offhand but i will put that in the show notes there's uh, like a three-part article she did testing all these things out so we'll add that in there so my friend bump wants to know how important is the national stationery show is it worth attending or is it really only for retailers it's pretty much like <laughs> a wholesale trade show for any market you can think of right you can't even get in yeah. as a regular yeah. like civilian. They won't give you a pass, and it's very expensive. Even if you're a wholesaler, it's, I looked at the tickets and I was like, "Wow, these are these are very expensive." And they want four different kinds of credential to prove that you're not just some plebe off the street looking at pens or something. It's so yeah, hundred percent right. Like I could go as not and go as an attendee. It's still. I don't know. It still might cost me like four figures to get in. I can't remember. The table spaces are very expensive. Um, I don't think it would be like super yeah, beneficial yeah. for like where we're at as a company right now. But like a lot of large retailers and distributors go like Retro 51 had a booth there. I know Execlair does go there because they have Rody and Clairefontaine and Jay Herbon and Covatus and all those things they display there for lots of retailers that come and place like their wholesale orders for the year. So it's definitely more trade wholesale businessy show than anything just like a listener of the pen addict or ink dependence would go to um if you could even get in no i couldn't and in fact if you wanted to get in as an employee so if you wanted to say oh yeah no mike's totally Mm -hmm. an employee of mine i would have to show i think it said two pay stubs or something showing that i was an actual employee of the business i have to work there for months and have like (laughs) i don't know faked record you'd have to pay me (laughs) i can't even go it's crazy uh, and I don't really understand why they have those shows, but I guess it's uh, yeah. It I mean, it's just like purpose. trade shows in other industries, right? I mean, you see, you know, like outdoor yeah. retailer or E three or you know, even some of that's open to the public. It's it's still pretty much for like the wholesalers of these products to go in and make the next six to twelve months orders and see what's coming up down the line. So yeah, 
nothing nothing we really need to focus on um as a as a as a hobby um ourselves so abby normal 23 loves the pilot juice 0.38 millimeter and the high tech c 0.3 millimeter i have small handwriting use field notes almost exclusively is there a fountain pen that offers comparable performance or should i buy a pen type b and stick to the pilot refills I, you probably shouldn't buy a pen type B because those are crazy nuts expensive. So unless you really, really want to have that pen, go for it because it's amazing and it works great with field notes. I don't use fountain pens with field notes. Um, Mike does. Mike Hurdley does. Um, this has become a problem. Uh, I have to I have to clarify now, Mike, <laughs> during the show. But there are some <laughs> fountain pens you can try that I think would work. The Pilot Metropolitan with the EF nib. And they have a, um, a pen called the Penmanship that also has the EF nib in it. And the Platinum Preppy has an EF nib. And I think those would do really well in field notes. I haven't tried them exclusively, but on the just the spots where I have tried them in the fa- past, they've been perfectly fine. Do you use small gel ink pens, Mike, or are you not really in that realm? Uh, 0.38 is, is definitely mm-hmm. my floor. Um, and even that is really too small for me. Most of the time, I'm usually more like a 0.5, 0.7 sort of dude. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so uh, not too much. Yeah. Not, not the point threes. I've got like a, a 0.18 over here and it's just a thing for stabbing yeah, holes in exactly. paper. It doesn't Chase even Chase the cats away with it. <laughs> yeah. Um, what about fountain pens? What type of nibs do you use? Just general question. Uh, it kind of goes all over the place, but usually fine is my floor. I try not to go be- below that. And like a Japanese fine is is pretty much um, sometimes gotcha. it's uncomfortably small. So I think they've all got their uses. I generally like to use bigger nibs. So mediums, broads, extra broads, that kind of stuff uh, of whatever kind. But uh, if I'm using my planner, I need a small nib because you know it's got small spaces. So I'll use a fine. If I'm writing notes, I'll usually use something smaller so I can cram more on a page. Uh, but all right, Bryant Donovan asked probably the hardest question this entire uh, this entire STPA segment. Most overrated pen, and that was it. That was the extent of the question. I don't know how I didn't know how to take this. I kept trying to think fountain <laughs> pen. What's the most overrated fountain pen? And I couldn't really come up with an answer. And then it hit me what I think the most overrated just pen in general is. It's the Pilot G2. So I'll get some hate mail for that. And the Pilot G2 is not a bad pen. It's just not the best gel ink pen in that market for me. Um, You know, it's perfectly fine. If you love your G2, go for it. You know, you're not going to have a bad time. But I prefer the Signo 307. I prefer the Energel. So I think the G2 is the most overrated pen. Do you have an answer for this at all? Yeah, that was what I struggled with because I don't really, I'm not really in the business of throwing shade. And I feel like this is a question that's like, hey, yeah. throw some shade. And I, I, that's not really my jam. But um, so the one thing that has never really, has never worked for me is um, any pilot mm. medium nib. Um, I, I've got pilot, I've got a bunch of pilots and every medium nib I've ever had had to be adjusted. And I, it may be just that I'm attracting all the bad nibs and sucking them out of the market Maybe. for everyone else. But, um, uh, that's the thing that I had a problem with, but the G2, I think <laughs> is a great answer. There's, there are a lot gel pins are great, but that's just not the best of the bunch for sure. And it's definitely, I think it's the, it's the, the most, uh, the oh, most yeah. common one, right? I mean, they've got the biggest sales on that one. It's, but I mean, the Sino beats it or Signo beats it. The, there's a bunch of them that beat it really. Yeah, they really they well. marketed it as <laughs> so. the, um, the the top selling gelling pin in the world. And I was like, I'm going to go verify this. They're like, can they prove it? So like, I emailed them. This was a couple years ago. I emailed them and got the uh, <laughs> uh, got part of the um, documentation. You know, like whatever you know, marketing group had this 
this survey done and you know they sent me that it was at the top and was like okay you win <laughs> but, yeah so wow. yeah, yeah babe, whatever pilot g2 definitely overrated all right can koi I, I never know how to pronounce this Keswa. can koi that looks Kenswa. fine can't swallow. Oh, yeah. Let's, let's can't swallow today. Can't they, swallow. They know who they are. So, <laughs> um, best pencil or pen for score, scorekeeping kids' baseball games. My Retro 51 bled through the paper. Yeah, that's a bad idea for. So, there's two or three things you have to keep in mind when you're scoring a game outdoors. One, it's hot. Two, it's sweaty. And three, it's dirty. So, there's there's two things that can handle that. Um, page when it's all kinds of gunked up and one is a pencil so I use the Crondash fixed pencil instead of a, a regular wooden pencil most of the time because it has a little sharpener in the end of it and it has a metal barrel so it can take a beating you know you're outside you might drop it you know get bumped into whatever and secondly I'll use a Fisher space pen just because I know it's going to write when I need it to write any type of fountain pen or rollerball pen or even jelly pen just doesn't do well in that type of environment. So that's what I use. How about when you're scoring your kids games, Mike, what do you use when, when scraggles? I've literally <laughs> never scored a game. So I, I, I didn't actually know how to address this question. Yeah. So I'm this super one, glad this you one had some was answers. for me. I, I'll, I'll post about scorekeeping sometimes and I do it outside and it's just like a gross thing because like your arms are sweaty and you get the paper all wet and you have to have something that writes in that environment. And it's never going to be anything you really mm-hmm. want to write with to, to do the best. So stick with a ballpoint or pencil and you should be all right. So here's one of our, our popular types of questions. Jade Zilla is an industrial deckhand looking for a rollerball pen with colorful refills to match her uniform. A bright orange and navy shirt with reflective silver stripes, tan boots, and a white hard hat, preferably rust-proof. Any ideas? Did you have any ideas for this, Mike? I do, yeah. And this is one that doesn't get talked about enough. Um, and then I looked up their site, and I'm like, oh man, they're they're not in production right at this moment. But um, the one that I really like is the uh, the TI Scribe mm. Bolt. It's uh, it's my favorite Bolt pen, and it's one you don't see a whole lot about. But um, this guy Kevin, who makes them, is currently redesigning these guys, and they're going to be even better. Um, and they take the the sort of um, they take all kinds of refills. There's a long list of refills they take. And what I keep in mind is the, um, the ink joy yeah. gel refill. And, uh, so you have every kind of color of ink you could want. And these pens come in, you know, all the popular metal stuff. So you've got brass and copper and titanium and all kinds of things. And they come in pen and pencils. And I think that's probably what I would go to. I was thinking somebody who is, you know, a deckhand would need something that would like mm-hmm. survive weather. And I think solid metal machined pens will. Uh, and you want to be able to actuate it with one hand. So the bolt thing is really good for that. So, yeah, that was my that was my go to, I think. Or I mean, anything in like the plastic versions of things. Yeah. Those won't rust. Either, I, that's so. a great call because that T.I. scribe is a skinny bolt, if you will. It's not a big honking wide bolt. Yeah. So it's a it's a great pen. You can like you said, you can actuate it with one hand. Uh, that's a that's a really, really great call. I also went the metal machine pen route. I'm a big fan of the Keras Customs EDK or Retract. The Retract has more gel ink options, so you can do different matching colors because you can fit the Pilot Juice refill in there in probably 30 different colors. The EDK fits more of your Parker-style rollerball refills, Schmidt, Fisher Space Pen, that type of thing. And then you can mix and match 
the barrel colors to match, you know, your outfit a little better. Like you could do a silver and orange um, barrel in either of those pins, I think, you know, something like that, or a navy and silver or a navy and black, any kind of things like that. But yeah, I love the the TI scribe choice. And uh, any of those metal pins are going to be, most of them are, are going to be rough proof because they're either stainless, aluminum, or brass or copper. So they should be good. Good to go. Speaking of Karis Customs, Ari Thornton wants to know how many pieces of clothes clothing have you lost to pins or ink? My Karis Customs ink came uncapped in a pocket today, and my shorts are now a very Robert Oster right green color. Have you ever had the full on ink explosion in a <laughs> shirt or pocket or bag or anything? So I know I'm going <laughs> to jinx myself here, but I actually I haven't had yeah. that problem with a fountain pen. The only thing I've lost is I've lost a well. I have stained a pair of jeans that I didn't really like that much anyway, and I totally stained a, uh, a pair of shorts that I did like uh, with a mm-hmm. Retro 51. That uh, that rollerball refill is one that I immediately take out and chuck yep. and put in a ballpoint because like pocket lint gets stuck in there and then it just wicks the ink out into your pants. And so it was both of them. Retro 51 wrecked two pairs of pants, basically. <laughs> yep. So I have, I'm going to jinx myself too. I don't want to say it too loud, but I haven't really had that problem. But Retro 51 is the worst offender exactly for what you say, because that's a, that water based ink, just like a fountain pen ink. If it comes in contact with anything, it's going to run. I mean, it's gone and mm-hmm. you're just going to see a huge, huge spot. So I haven't lost any clothing uh, to that anytime i've spilt fountain pen ink on a shirt or shoes it's been it hasn't been a permanent one so i've been able to wash it out so no i haven't lost anything yet so we'll knock on wood and, and hope we don't <laughs> i know you have an answer for this one because i i wanted to quiz you about it because i saw you answer this question not too long ago so dv flame artist says i know you love this fisher space pen so this question is all for you. Pressurized <laughs> cartridges aside, is there a higher quality refill I can hack into a space pen body? Easy Flow 9000 or the like would be much preferred. The basic Fisher refill leaves much to be desired. So I saw you answer this somewhere recently. Like you have a favorite go-to Parker style refill. What is it? Yeah, so my favorite go-to is the uh, the Monteverde Soft Roll. I'm a huge mm-hmm. fan of those. I've got them in... I don't know anything that can take it. Basically, I, I I'll buy a pen that can take it, and I'll just go over to Bert, uh, Bert and uh, uh, just buy packs of the Monteverdes because I think those <laughs> are the those are my definitely my favorite ballpoint. Um, the other and I agree. I I've got one Fisher Space Pen, and I do not like that refill at all. It is not good for me. I mean, it's good for you know extreme conditions or whatever. And uh, sure, but for everyday writing, it's not my, not my jam, but here's yeah. a thing that I just found as I was searching this, see what fits in them. Cause these space pens are often these little bullet sto- sort of guys and it's a weird shaped refill. But, mm. um, Anna from well-appointed desk has a post on hacking, um, unistyle fit refills to fit into these things. What? And, and those unistyle with just a little, like just wrapping a little bit of washi tape in a few places. Mm-hmm. And those unistyle fits are one of the things I'm really into right now. I love multi pens at the moment. And the unistyle fit is my favorite and they come in a zillion different styles. Awesome. So um, I think that's the answer. All right. So we'll add, we'll find that article added to the show notes because I love the style fit also. And yeah, if you can uh, make that happen easily, I'm all in. So we'll figure that out. All right. Last two. We'll end on a couple of fun ones here. Our friend, Sarah, who unfortunately couldn't join us this weekend in Raleigh. We were hoping she was going to be there, but she needs a garden update from you, Mike. What's up with the garden? <laughs> uh, so many things are up with the garden. It is uh, it is the beginning of summer here. Well, yeah, beginning-ish of summer here in North yeah, Carolina. Yeah. 
And so things are growing. I've been digging out garden beds for, I don't know, it feels like forever. Uh, just <laughs> sort of making my backyard look good. But um, I've got uh, my, my Batesias, which are false indigos, are a thing I'm super into, into right now. And those have just kind of finished blooming. Uh, so they're just sort of big bushy looking things. But uh, my Shasta daisies are coming in uh, strong. My hostas are blooming, which is awesome. Yarrow is all over the place. Um, and uh, here's a weirdo plant for you. The Amorphophallus has just started coming up out of the ground. Um, Google up Amorphophallus, but also you can Google... Um, <laughs> Uh, and it's spelled just like it sounds. Uh, okay. But, <laughs> I was going to say, it could look interesting. Be careful. Yeah, no, that's what it's going to look like. But if you Google that, not just the other, not just the second part, it's fine. Uh, but also, they're known as corpse flowers. You see posts mm. about like the the titan- uh, Titanus and all these sort of things are these, you know, 20 foot tall blooms. And that's the kind of thing you get. But they also smell like rotting meat. <laughs> mm. Mine hasn't bloomed yet, fortunately slash unfortunately, but they're just a cool looking plant. So those are just started peeking out. But uh, yeah, all kinds of good stuff is coming up. Hibiscus will be out soon. Gladiolus will be out soon. It's going to be very colorful here at the the Madison household soon. I'm jealous. I love gardens. I love looking at them, and, and I think they're beautiful. Sarah wants to know, do I have any garden things I'd like to share? And not really. You know, we have your your basic uh, azaleas, roses, Japanese maples, um, you know, around the house. Nothing we're total, actively um doing every year or twice a year you know depending on the season mm-hmm. we have we have space for vegetables which we haven't done at this house in our previous house we did uh, we grew okra and peppers and some things like that and uh, a few herbs but no other like hardcore gardening stuff uh here at the Panatic household but uh you know maybe one of these years we got the room for it and we've always done it in the past so all right last one this is one for me that came out of the Raleigh Penn show. Uh, was 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 popular on the, I can't believe the I Instagrams. I'm so disappointed. <laughs> so Kimberly wants to know why did you want Oscar in a box for your Kickstarter request? Well, I mean, I'm just a weird guy and I like to have fun. So when I filled out the survey for the Pay It Forward Kickstarter, you know, you put in your name, your address. I ordered one of the pens, so I had to put in my pen information. And then at the end, there's a little box saying, do you have any other requests? And just being the silly person that I am, I just typed Oscar in a box on my Kickstarter survey, what, like three months ago. Um, So I wouldn't even know that i even typed that you know it was just on a whim at the time and so i'm standing there at the raleigh pen show and around the corner comes a luggage cart with a box on it with a piece of paper taped on the outside and it's my survey responses from the pay it forward kickstarter with a little circle around oscar in a box and out pops oscar from this box at raleigh so the pay it forward team and oscar delivered everything i asked for on this Kickstarter project so far had a special delivery of Oscar in a box and it was wonderful. Um, <laughs> I then put him back in the box and shipped him away. Cause it was also a little bit creepy. <laughs> well, the way he popped out was uh, <laughs> startling, <laughs> <laughs> but that was fun. And that's why you should come to a pin show and hang out with me and hang out with Mike and everyone there. We have fun. Like, you know, yes, it's work. Yes, it's business sometimes. But more importantly, it's about the people and about the fun time. And I thank you, Mike, for coming on and talking about the show, recapping the show, telling us what's going on in your world and helping me out 
awesomely with these Ask TPA questions. So tell everyone where they can find you on the great internet. Uh, you can find me at inkdependence.com. You can find me on uh, youtube.com slash Michael Madison, which is my real name. Uh, and I'm sure there'll be a note in the, in the show notes for that. You can find me on Patreon. Uh, you can find me as um, at inkdependence on Instagram. Uh, and at Madison on Twitter. I wish I could consolidate those things, but sometimes it's not I possible. Know. <laughs> I know. Same here. So we will have links to all those in the show notes this week, which you can find at relay.fm slash penatic 311. You can find me on Twitter at Dowdyism, D-O-W-Y-I-S-M, and on Instagram at penatic because I too cannot consolidate all my names into one mm-hmm. because people have them and I've tried to buy them off them and they won't take my money (laughs) so that's a wrap for this week mike with a y will be back next week until then say goodbye mike goodbye mike